Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This time I learn about John's black eye, what it was like on the ground at Wadapalooza, and his opinions about how judging and programming should develop in CrossFit. As usual, he has a lot to say. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Europe is Coming podcast, taking you inside the minds of Europe's best CrossFit athletes and the people behind them. Hey John, how are you today? It's um, what it's day is it? Tuesday. Is it Monday? No, it's Tuesday. I know this because I've got my computer screen open. And you're in my, you're in that Miami, so I'm on, and I'm in that Mallorca in Miami Beach. How is it over there? Is it all settled down now? The dust has settled. It was um, like how is Miami, or how is the post competition? How are you good, feeling? Like, like at any competition, a lot happens. So, you know, it's four days. And a lot happens over those four days, so it's quite intense. Um, also, we, we came in late to this competition. So I'd say actually only the jet lag's kind of starting to settle now. Like I'm kind of in the, the rhythm. So it, it was it was a long four days. So I'm a bit tired, but um, I slept well last night, which was good. Did you travel? On, so you travelled last Wednesday exactly. and the competition started on Thursday? uncharacteristically yeah, late for you this is because we had a very different approach to this competition we just wanted a bit more fun let the girls throw down so it was a bit of a different approach um what a palooza from a from an external spectator's point of view looks like madness and all pink and purple everywhere is that what is it what is it like being on the ground yeah, the it's event? exactly like that so i must say it's like it was super positive seeing an event like what a palooza because there were so many people and it was just nice to go to a crossfit event where it was packed vendors spectators like just it kind of had like a really big energy and showed that the you know the sport has um, has a big following behind it so from that side of things it was really nice so like big picture, I think it was super positive. Um, so many people there, and like you know, I think it's very easy with anything. But I kind of understand some of the issues people spectators had. So it was an issue for me because um, you know I don't tend to go into the, the uh, arenas, but lots of people couldn't get seats uh, to see any of the events. So you know, if you travelled over from Europe, brought a ticket, and can't get in to see, I, I can really see that being a frustration. That sucks. Yes, and I. I mean, I was looking at the, what, I don't know the name of the arena, but the one with the sea behind it, and there's no space even on the on the competition floor for even the judges. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously it's like, you know, it's a great problem to have. They just need to accommodate more seating because it was so busy. But I can see the frustration from people buying a ticket and not being able to see the events. I was um, following Josie on um, Instagram, and he looked like he was having quite a tough weekend. <laughs> and uh, a couple of the content guys were posting about, you know, be a bit more considerate of each other because it's really hard to get the shots there. It looked like, from a media point of view, quite a demanding weekend. Yeah, as you say, you know, space is just very valuable there. So, you know, when you, it's also a tough decision for them because they got put on the broadcast. How many media do you want on the floor? It, it's, um, they're not like easy decisions to, to make. So, yes, yeah, so, like I think for, Actually, for like spectators, media, it was tough getting like around the athletes. Whereas the athletes, but I think the athlete experience this year was very good. Coach experience was very good. Like a great warm up area, everything ran on time, everything was very clear. So from that side of things, I think it was um, organisationally from the back end, it was very good in that way. Well, that's good. And I guess the question that should be on everyone's lips is: Did you get a tattoo? 
No, I, I, I didn't get a tattoo. Although, as, as you can see, I got a black eye instead. Yeah. Do you want to tell me that story? <laughs> For anyone who saw me this weekend, I was, um, you know, I was punched in the face. <laughs> which, you know, is random. But uh, Rumsey, Rumsey and myself were walking back from Whole Foods on, I think, Friday morning at like 10 a.m. down like a main street. And I was carrying two shopping bags. And then all of a sudden, this guy just runs out of nowhere from like, um, we were crossing some scaffolding. And it just comes out from the corner, smashed me in the face. And I, you know, kind of when I got my senses together, looked up and just shouts something, runs off. And, uh, and, and that was, that, that is, that is actually the whole story. It was like uh, completely uh, random. Really. Did she get it on video? No, she didn't. Paul, I think Paul Rumsley was in a, an emotional state. Yeah, but everyone's all right. Everyone's good. Like I say, it was completely random. I don't think we're used to it in Europe, but there's a really big like wealth discrepancy, very apparent here. So we have like super you know ferraris porsches driving around but then on the same street that the ferraris and porsches are so much homelessness and you know this is kind of outside the scope of the podcast but the uh, the wealth discrepancy here is very visible the first time i ever went to chicago which was in um, 1990 something at the beginning of the 90s that was the first time i ever saw my first proper homeless kind of experience as well and that's 30 years ago now so america's uh, leading the way unfortunately yeah, in that yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad you're feeling better. No tattoo, but a black eye. But that will fade by the time I yes. see you next. And you won't have any souvenirs. So from an athlete perspective, you said it was a good event. It was a good um, experience. And also from a coach perspective. But like always, we have lots of new and young um, athletes competing. What kind of advice would you have given anybody who was competing at Waterpalooza this weekend who wasn't, who maybe didn't have the benefit of you taking care of them? Because it's quite an um, overwhelming experience for new competitors. So I think it's very hard to generalise because um, each person is so unique in how they, they approach things. Some people might be very nervous. Some people might look at it as a great experience. So kind of summarising it for or generalising, I think it's very tricky to do. And I think it's kind of some stuff like, so this was one of the whole concepts of the crown was in essence that we wanted the the next generation to be the focus. And so at competitions like this, where you have the elites, they they become the focus because you know, that's what people are there to see the elites. Unless you're kind of friend or family, most people are there to see the elites. That's why they have the best broadcasting, all of these things. And that's what we wanted to kind of flip round with the crown was actually make the experience for the next generation even more, even better. Just touching on the crown right now, you just told me off uh, before we started recording that you have extended the qualifier period to the 5th of uh, February. So that people who, who want to compete or at least try to compete, they've got a bit longer to get. If they want to try to improve on their scores, they've got a chance to. Yeah, exactly. Resubmit. So we have um, a very exciting sponsor that we're announcing. And in order to, uh, to allow ourselves to announce that pre end of qualifier, we have to we extended the dates so, so yes it, nothing nothing really changes just an extension of the dates uh, which is beneficial for those who, who haven't done it yet as well so like, as i was like it, in my case it would be try to get a little bit fitter vicky before you before you put your before you video yourself so you were there with a big gang of of uh, the guys this time you had coach chris yes. you had carmen you had manu you had rumsey there was we you, also had renato renato the uh, another coach so that takes a lot. That even if, even in itself takes a lot of organising, a lot of communication. 
But what, what are the benefits from your point of view as a coach and as a business person to having the media team with you? So it's really just telling us our story. So we we, um, we really need to be able to you know, showcase our athletes, help our athletes, showcase our brand and what we want to do. So, so that's really the reasoning is, is like how can we you know, tell our side of the story? Because it seems that every single athlete has to have – such a big media presence these days on on Instagram, on partic- in particular, there's a lot of demand for on people like Manu to uh, produce. I mean, there was quite a few you had quite a few people there, didn't you, this weekend? So a lot of athletes to film, a lot of video to make. What kind of condition is he in today? The media's the media guys have a very hard job, it really because the relevance of day one is over on day one. So not only do they have to get the content, they have to get the you know get everything else from there you have to be fast and turn it over really quickly exactly so the the turnover is um is very important so basically you know the media guys have a very hard time so you know manu was up to like three four in the morning most nights trying to get the content uh, relevant content and meanwhile you had um you said there were loads of vendors there so were you guys also meeting a lot of sponsors and potential sponsors for the club for the the athletes obviously lead of our athlete representation and so in water blues there's a lot of the brands um chance to be with the athletes make sure everything's supported so for her it's just a good opportunity to to make sure she's speaking with everyone and, and keeping the athletes happy as well so we come out the other side which is good and um i guess looking back on the weekend where should we start should we start with the individual athletes how did ella um, so, do so ella's you know the, the kind of similar story with ella she she in essence did, you know, did well and one of the big things for Ella is that she has a, a lot of physical potential, but it's very hard for expressing it on the floor. Um, so I think gaining that experience is very important for her and learning how to compete as well. Uh, is, I mean, is, is the only way that you can learn how to compete by competing? Or can you simulate it as well? I think it depends what the, the issue is. And, you know, sometimes these issues are, because we are people, there's a lot more complexity than just, you know, where you get better at the competition by competing. You know, sometimes it's very nice if there's like a very simple linear solution. But sometimes with these complex issues, it's very hard to just apply. It's like, well, you know, just go to competitions and compete because there might be something underlying those issues as well. You also had, um, I don't know him, Tiago? Yeah, so Tiago is um, he's Portuguese. Uh, he's been the fittest in Portugal for like a number of years. And uh, he works with Renato who leads our programme Portuguese as well. He did very well in um, semis last year, finishing 11th. So he's looking you know, looking to improve, looking how he can get better and being able to compete with you know, some of the best in the world. Like the male side of the field was stacked a lot, so, a lot more so than the female side. And so anyway, for him, it was very good to get that experience. I mean, looking at Roman and Ricky and how they basically tag-teamed each other all weekend with the finishes was really exciting and um bodes well for next year's game or this year's games isn't it see some uh, real real uh opponents for Medeiros yeah it seems that Ricky Roman and Medeiros are like a level ahead of everyone else did you get the chance to watch any of the, the guys competing yeah I did like it's, it's always useful information for me being able to see what they're doing where their level's at did you see Guy's lift yeah yeah he's very beautiful to watch uh he moves. He moves very differently. It's um, it was a really beautiful thing to watch, even on uh, YouTube. It was a. He's an amazing athlete. Very, I guess, uh, rewarding to watch him lift things. 
And then you also had um, some other guys who um, were competing. Who I, I've met Marek Thatcher before and Martin as well. I don't know how to say his second name though. Fifalik? Yeah, so we had, well, we had uh, Connie and the individual as well who went through. And then we had like um, some masters. And then we also had people in the, in the elite team. So like kind of everyone was a bit, well, people scattered around in different divisions. But yes, yeah, so uh, the Martins were in the elite teams as well, where we had also Moritz, who had some issues with his um, team selection. Just basically, he was supposed to be the Enrico and Giorgos, and they both picked up an injury. And then we had our or, uh, the GoWad team, who were part of, uh, who were always the same team and part of the competition, basically part of the competition from the start. I mean, considering that Moritz didn't have um, a team until the beginning of last week, to finish 13th is pretty good. Yeah, yes, it's true. They they did well. Like, you know, it, and in all fairness to, so one of the reasons uh, it's very hard to build a team is a certain criteria. So the only person who could find a fit criteria was Tristan, who finished top 10 at the games this year. But so, you know, he was um, very kind to step in because he wasn't, through his own admission, he wasn't like super keen, didn't feel in shape, but he did it as a favour so Moritz could still compete. So, you know, it's been very thankful for him stepping in. So, then Moritz could still get the opportunity to, to compete and alongside Fabi as well. And um, shall we talk about like the actual like demands of the team competition? Because that really got quite interesting with this blind synchronisation movement. Yeah, so I would say that actually there wasn't that much teamwork in general for a team competition compared to you know a typical game. But you are right. There were you know there are certain things. That if you can like for example, actually I'd say the hardest thing for teams seems to be the synchro wall balls. But but yes, the, also the kettlebell being at the back. So the kettlebell is the slowest of all those three movements through that event. And therefore, if the kettlebell was in the front, it would have been very easy just because visually you can synchronize. But with it being at the back, it makes it a lot harder because you you had to compensate with the other two, and you needed some form of communication. I heard that it was super noisy on the floor and that yeah. most of the teams couldn't even like hear each other communicating. So how would you go about doing that, really? This is where the experience, you know, kind of learn the cycle speed of how long it takes, basically, for one of your teammates to go through um, a handling. So that's a rehearsal? Yeah, but, you, know, practice, you can't beat practice for that stuff. And a lot of the teams didn't have it. And what, how did you feel like the GoWad girls got on? They got on really well, like they're... Very good friends, had a good time. They'd like some better. I think realistically, like compared to the other teams, we could have like fourth place was going to be a um, a possibility. Made made it they finished sixth, but it was kind of within the realms of where we'd expected. I saw that Jacqueline posted on her Instagram the the after the competition had finished. She was um, basically I don't know who she was um, uh, referring to, but she had drawn a little arrow to the GoWall team and then another arrow. Must actually put them us or us them and then said that um and they, they looked like the this other team looked like they were level and then she was saying that the like they somehow the go world team were uh, marked as being four seconds slower but did you think there were lots of judging inconsistencies throughout the weekend yeah so this isn't just to what a palooza but there's a fundamental issue within competitions for example, you know, the scores probably went in, the judge clicked the stopwatch at the wrong time. And so, so you know, it's as simple as that, that basically a stopwatch is pressed at the wrong time. And even though visually you can see this, you know, the team, one team crosses the line first compared to the other team on live, the judge presses the time at the wrong time, that's what gets written down. Now, the issue is, is actually, if you like, 
have other heats that if the judge would have done that and you didn't have a reference point of another team finishing first, then there's nothing to go off. So, you know, using stopwatches for events that are separated by, you know, less than seconds is, is, is an issue. A huge issue because you have so much interperson problems. Like people just don't press the stopwatch at the right, wrong time because there's so many other things going on. And unfortunately, it leads in some fundamental issues in the sport. You know, like judging consistency. You know, scoring systems. Like why? Why did they make the final? They got quite lucky in the sense that the final scoring system didn't affect things. But why give 16 point a, a different scoring system for the final events and wait for more? So there's lots of like of these issues, you know, that come up in multiple competitions that just don't seem to be being addressed. And it's a problem. It's a problem that. So I think it's very important. You know, the thing that I've come to realize is it's not separating the entertainment, separating the entertainment side because people don't generally care. They just want to see a winner. But the athletes care. And the coaches care and they should care because ultimately you're not not like a level playing field. You know, the luck of the judge that you get on the lane becomes a, a huge issue, you know, be it through judging consistency across, be it through pressing a stopwatch. And these things should not be a factor for the athletes. And, you know, does it affect the entertainment value of what happened? No. But should it be a factor? No. And I think these things are relatively you know, straightforward to solve. But I think one thing, good thing that Waterpalooza did was at least they let the workouts know before the event started. So, you know, at least everyone had an idea of what was going to be happening. Why don't they have a chip in the shoe? I don't know why. It's probably because of organisation. You know, if you have to chip everyone, get the chip time, it, it's uh, extra work and extra money. Yeah, but then then the, like, the person who won that event would win that event without any argument, surely. Yeah, yeah ironically, chip times do sometimes have their issues as well, but they are more accurate. Than, or you could put like a pressure pad so there are you know it just requires investments you know not like it's not like that technology is not available that technology is available but it just requires people to invest in it for a more level playing field and i think this is the thing that once you're at a certain level of crossfit competition these things should be done and i think there should be a distinguishing factor that you know if you're going to go to a crossfit event you know like these big off season let's say you know this is a, a crossfit x events and therefore when you go to a crossfit x event there are minimum standards that should be met you know that we know that there's an appeals process that's the same across all competitions we know that the scoring system will adhere to these rules we know that you know etc etc there's a checklist that the athletes know that when they go to that competition this is what they can expect it's kind of the same thing with programming you know it was like rogue was advertised as a a showcase whereas the athletes was like like you know put through the mill where they were beaten up and it's kind of unfair to the athletes when you're advertising this as a showcase and then you end up giving them like multiple events over four days and just heavy beating them up so these are like big factors i can't i'm, I'm not not sure you can hear it but there's a big storm happening in mallorca now yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe on my audio it might, it might sound like i'm um you know somewhere in the north sea that all sounds completely fair i wonder if you if um how would you put those things forwards to CrossFit, though? Is, that, is there any kind of potential this year for the standards to be improved? I'm trying. Okay. And then, we, and then talking about like, the overall impression of the competition, it was great to see Sarah Sigmund's daughter back on the, on the field and a bit sad to see Emily Rolfe not make it through um, a, a competi- the, the elite competition. She got a calf tear. Um, for the swimming and double unders event, which a lot of people then went on to say they thought was dangerous. Um, what did you? What was your opinion of the of the events and the programming over the weekend? 
wouldn't say it's dangerous. You know, like, okay, double unders, barefoot. Like, you know, I think dangerous is the wrong word for that. Like, for example, if you gave them legless rope climbs underneath after the swim, you, okay, then, you, then you start going into some more dangerous territory. But double unders with, uh, with no shoes. Granted, it's, it's, if the athletes have, you know, you intuitively practice double unders without um, shoes. And it is a factor. Like, because there's that slight change. If you're not used to it, it can be, um, can be an issue. But I wouldn't, I, no, I wouldn't describe it as dangerous. What was your opinion of the programming over the weekend? What did you think? I, I think fine would be this. So this is another thing that I want to bring up. You go, well, how do you define good, pro, good event programming? You have in the past. I've given my opinion, but what's the definition? To find, to find the fittest. Okay, but then how, what is, you know, what is good programming of a CrossFit event? How do you define that? How many events? Do they need different duration? Do you need to cover all these movements? How do you cover all of these movements? And I, I actually don't think that anyone has a good definition of what good programming is. You know, could you look back? So let's, let's say every competition that was programmed, the big off-season competition, which had the best programming and why? You know, the games. Was it Rogue? Was it Dubai? Was it here? And which one had the best and why? That is impossible to answer. I disagree. I think that it. I, I think that we should endeavour to define because otherwise you just like you could justify everything. You know, what do you do? Okay, like move large loads, long distances. Okay, that's kind of fine. But what is a lot? How do you define a long distance? Is that hundred meters? Is that twenty k? Okay, you execute a high intensity. Well, a one arm push up is like a good showcase. And again, I think that we want to showcase, I mean, the test of fitness, because I think it's very important that we separate entertainment and uh, what athletes are being tested on. In order to, to sort of find some definition, I think one thing that's very, where it gets tricky is you can't just introduce single modality things. You can't just give them 10K row, 100 pull-ups, et cetera, because it takes away from the kind of magic process. And that adds, that adds a complexity to the issue. But I think that despite it being complex, we need a collective to be able to identify these things. That sounds like a very complicated maths problem. It is. That we're going to have to work on. It needs agreements through multiple people. You know, I can't just give my opinion and be like, I think this is a good definition. It needs, it needs a lot of people to input to make sure that we've done it right. And that's one thing I'm trying to work on with, you know, not people in-house, but actually, you know, I speak to other training programs through the competitions and we've kind of started to have these conversations you know completely outside of any competitive nature but just to try and improve the sport that's interesting coming away from the the competition and now getting ready to go home i guess are you um are you feeling satisfied with performances over the weekend and are you what's the next thing for you next thing is really sent well for me it's, it's not well next thing for me i have some courses coming up we're organising the crown. So there's kind of those those things that are happening. But um, if, if we're kind of talking about the athletes, really it's kind of heads down, focus on semis. That's the, you know, everyone's the same. Everyone's like, okay, with Water Blues has done, semi time. So four months, four and a bit. Exactly. The open starts in basically 30 days or whatever it is. Okay, when do you come back? Are you going straight back to, are you going straight back to Mallorca or are you going via somewhere exotic? No, no, no exotic. I fly, I come back and in a week I fly to Switzerland for a course. So I still got more travel. I, I'm missing my training, my routine. So it, it must affect you a lot. And yeah, you know, it's funny, like, it's, you know, I spent so many years of my life just traveling. 
And it's important for me to be here, and, and I really see the value, and I enjoy being here. That's don't get me wrong on that. But um, the actual travel, like you know, I, I love training, I love sleeping well, I love eating well, and all of those things, you know, get do get affected. Like my sleep gets fucked up, and and then I don't necessarily want to train here because if I get too tired, you know, that affects my ability to help the athletes at the competition. So, so, so yes, I, I miss um, I miss my routine. Well, I guess I'll see you soon on the island. Yeah, of course. And um, enjoy your coffee. Have you got any? Have your guys just joined you in the in the bar? They just joined and left me, but luckily they left me with a coffee. So, oh, that was nice of them. Well, congratulate them for me. Glad to see they had a good weekend. And ta-ra! Oh, and don't forget the flamingo. The flamingo. Yeah, that you're bringing me back on my to-do list. I didn't remember the flamingo <laughs> okay i'll try i'm gonna endeavor to find a flamingo yeah okay thank you i look forward to meeting him thank you very much Ricky. thank you john and safe travels home if you're enjoying the show please like subscribe and share with your friends it all helps us to grow this episode was hosted by me Vicky mcleod with a very sore throat and edited by marta candel until next time thanks for listening and bye bye Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Europe is Coming is a programme production and hosted by Vicky McLeod.